Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by sports columnist Scott Osler to break down Golden State's Game 3 win over the Spurs. So here we are, 2 a.m. on what I guess is Friday morning in San Antonio, Texas. We have a late night version of Warriors Off Court. Um, you know, we just got out of writing our, our stories off game game three. Um, what was an emotional night at AT&T Center. And we're back at the Courtyard Marriott in downtown San Antonio. Um, what, what was just your, your biggest takeaway from tonight? What did... What was the one thing that you're going to take from what we just saw? I'm going to say kind of how, how freaky the game was. And I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but because of the uh, death of, of, of Greg Popovich's wife um, yesterday, the day before yesterday, and, um, you know, it created a whole different atmosphere. And there was so much talk about that. And, and Greg Popovich himself was not at the game coaching. So they had a, a different coach. And, and Steve Kerr, Coach of the Warriors was was so um, emotionally distraught because he's so close to Greg Popovich and Greg's late wife Erin. Uh, so it just it, it created a weirdness about the game, you know. And uh, so you, I, I didn't know what to expect going in. You know, are the Spurs going to be so so fired up? Are they going to be downcast? Are the Warriors going to? So what was going to happen? So I know I don't want to trivialize. Uh, the tragedy of Greg Popovich, uh, by, you know, saying that was part of the game, but it was part of the game, and so it was a, it was an interesting situation, kind of unique. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the Spurs are down two zero entering this game. We all know that when a team goes down three zero in a playoff series, their season is effectively over. No team in NBA history. This actually kind of surprises me. But no team in NBA history has ever come, overcome a 3-0 series deficit in any playoff round at all. Um, only three teams have ever even forced a game seven, um, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. But by losing tonight's game, the Spurs season is basically done. And so they had that to play for. And then you add on the fact that they're playing for not just their coach, not just a coach they're playing for Greg Popovich who is a legend in San Antonio who is one of the most revered coaches in NBA history future hall of famer the whole nine yards um they're playing for his wife's memory who all of them I'm sure know on some knew on some level and um so you could you could tell that there was just an extra juice to the night there was an extra um there was an extra just fervor in the air uh and uh the crowd obviously that crowd is always loud especially in a playoff environment but from the opening tip you know the opening tip of that game the the spurs win the tip and and rudy gay comes down for one-handed dunk and the crowd just like (laughs) erupted you know, I I haven't heard an arena be that loud maybe ever, um, and so you you could just tell that there was a lot they were playing for. But the reality is, you can have a lot to play for, 
But over the course of a 48-minute NBA game, odds are if you're just not even in the same stratosphere as the team you're playing, that's probably going to get exposed at some point. I think that's what happened was, you know, they played a really nice first quarter. Uh, They were only down six at half. And then, you know, the Warriors were one for 11 from three in the first half. And other than three-point shooting, they actually played really well in that first half. But then in that third quarter, they finally started to make threes, and they just pulled away. They were up 13, I think, at the end of the third, and then uh, ended up getting up 19 midway through the fourth. Yeah, I think um, we talk about the overmatch factor, and when you look at the Spurs at any given point, you think, well, you know, where are they going to get their points from? They got a couple Aldridge, obviously, it will score for you, and, and some of the other guys, but um, when the Warriors have their kind of their blue collar team on the on the court, where they don't have all the scorers out there, really, you think, man, where are they going to get their points? That's kind of what San Antonio is all the time. So, yeah. so they're definitely overmatched, you know. So, uh, but it, it was one thing I thought in terms of um, the the Popovich thing is that I thought it was really handled well by Kerr, by by the Spurs organization by like Draymond Green expressed it well where it could have been one of those those kind of painfully uh, the kind of those painful things where it's like oh we got to win one for Popovich or we got to you know we got to honor her his wife's spirit by by winning or playing well and they avoided that which can be uh, just it just inappropriate I think in sports you know it's got sports is not about as Draymond said you know, it's just a game. And Steve Kerr said it's just a game. It, it can't be about that. So they 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 were in that fine line of, of, of you know, not wanting to make a, a travesty out of the game, but yet the emotions were there. So that made, made for kind of a strange night. Yeah, and I appreciated that, you know, the Warriors, and this is any anyone who's around the Warriors, anyone who's covered the Warriors knows that, this is a team that has a really good grasp on perspective. They they know where they fit in the grand scheme of things. They know where basketball should fit in the priorities of life. And, uh, you know, before and after this game, players and, and Coach Kerr talked at length about, you know, this doesn't really matter. And there was part of me that was, you know, knowing that was wondering, okay, are they almost too aware of that to the point where they're going to just kind of walk through tonight's game, but they, they've still played a really crisp game. They only had, uh, they only had 10 turnovers to 26 assists. Um, they shot over 50% from the field. They held San Antonio seven for 33, uh, shooting from three point range. Um, you know, obviously KD did his thing, 26 points, um, almost kind of flirting with a triple double there a little bit. Clay Thompson had 19 points on eight for eight for 16 shooting. Then you had really nice contributions from the bench. Obviously, obviously Sean Livingston with 16 points, Quinn Cook with 12. Uh, Andre, who who we now know is a starter, still had a had a pretty good game uh, with with 10 points and, and four assists and four rebounds. And Kevon Looney, you know, not he wasn't as impressive from a from a raw numbers standpoint, but he was a plus 17 and, and played some really good defense, um, switching off ball screens, defending guards, which has kind of become his signature skill at this point. Um, what have you thought about 
the emergence of Kavon Looney. This is a guy who was really an afterthought. You know, his first two years in the league, obviously he was injured a lot and didn't get a lot of playing time. Lost almost 30 pounds last summer. And then most of this season was in and out of the rotation, but in the last month and month and a half of the regular season really came on. And it looks like he's going to be a factor going forward in these playoffs. What what have you thought of just, you know, what he's shown us over the past month and a half, two months? Yeah, I'm surprised watching him from the, the, the beginning and, you know, the, all through the injuries and you'd see him at practice a lot and he'd be kind of working out on the side trying to rehab. And, and then when he'd come back, it was, you know, never to me really super impressive. Never, not that I'm a NBA level talent scout or anything, but never thinking, boy, this guy, when he gets healthy, man, he's really going to make a difference in this team, man. He's really going to be the, the emerging star. He's going to be Akeem Olajuwon, you know. I never got that impression. In fact, I, I was leaning more towards, you know, they're just going to realize that it was not what they hoped when they drafted him, and he'll eventually drift away out of the trade. I mean, he'll wind up in playing in Greece or something like that. But uh, he's kind of come along nicely, and they, they seem very encouraged by the way he's playing now. And they're certainly going to need that because they – you know, they, as as we know, well, they just don't have that dominant center, and they and they, it's an ensemble kind of deal. And if they can get some really valuable minutes from him, that's going to be pretty big the rest of the playoffs. Especially, I mean, I don't you don't want to play the what if game or the hypothetical game too much, but if they do play Houston in the Western Conference Finals, that's going to be big. Two of his best games this season came against Houston. Um, that game in Houston, I want to say early February or late January, whatever it was, he uh, was really big guarding Chris Paul and James Harden and even Eric Gordon off of ball screens and, and just did phenomenal work. And that's that's going to be such an asset. It would not surprise me if he started those games. Obviously, uh, Steve is basing his, his starting center off matchups, and JaVale has been the guy this series. I wouldn't be surprised if – if they play, if they play New Orleans in the second round, and if it's someone else, um, but no, he's been just such a kind of feel good story on this team, and you know, obviously the other feel good story on this team has been Quinn Cook. What have you thought of what he's done in these playoffs so so far? Because you know he was obviously the big storyline toward the end of the regular season. Obviously, the last day of the regular season signed a multi-year guaranteed deal um, and through next season. And then kind of the surprise was that Andre Iguodala supplants him in the starting lineup. But Cook is still showing that even as a reserve guy, he can make an impact. Yeah, he's, what, 26 years old. So he's not like 25. So he's not like a, a first-year rookie. He's been around a little bit. And he's – I. To me, he's kind of showing experience. He, he acts like a guy who is confident. He comes in. He's not afraid to take a shot, um, which I know with Patrick McCaw a little bit, they've always been, come on, Patrick, you got to shoot. You got to – with Quinn, you don't really have to do that. He, he He's a scorer. He's a shooter. He And they really need that. You know, with Steph out, you can't replace Steph, obviously. Um, you can't replace Steph's 26, 27 points a game. But Quinn Cook, is, to me, has been – it to me it's been kind of remarkable how over the last month or so, filling in for Steph, he comes in and he's averaging what seventeen points a game. This is basically a rookie in the NBA fighting for his life, coming in to this this team of of amazing veterans, this greatest team in the world, and playing like he belongs. And I think that's 
to me it's been kind of kind of stunning how how gutsy and everything has been for him i mean his entire story to me just reinforces the brilliance of this front office because here's a guy who we're seeing right now he's a legitimate nba player he's probably as good if not better than most backup point guards in this league um there's probably some teams that he could even start on um and they got him on a two-way deal and he's a guy who i honestly think could end up being a really important part of their future because you and i you know we were getting lunch earlier today in san antonio and we were talking about um you know the what's really going to be important for this team going forward is guys like patrick mccaw jordan bell developing because you know all their all their studs right now are either in their prime or on the latter in the latter stages of their prime you know 29 you're 28 years old and you know in the next few years when they get a little older you're going to need these younger guys to slowly assume bigger and bigger roles and i think quinn cook especially as sean livingston you know gets older because uh, he's already kind of past his prime and yeah. and i think you know he's had a really nice playoffs actually but he's you're seeing him age and you're seeing his production go down relatively rapidly and it wouldn't surprise me at all if quinn actually was a bigger factor at least in the regular season next year uh as a backup guard than than sean and then progressing to the following year you know even more so and and he's just he's gonna be a guy who who could actually play a key factor in what happens with this team, which is just mind boggling considering I remember when they signed him and it was just kind of like an afterthought thing. You know, this guy's had a cup of coffee with Dallas, a cup of coffee with new Orleans. And, you know, speaking of new Orleans, um, I'm, I'm ready to officially call this series done. I mean, yes, I know we have a game on Sunday, but as we alluded to earlier, no team has ever in the history of the NBA come back from a three Oh deficit. Uh, even if this went five games or something, I, I there's no way the Warriors lose this. And tonight, during the Warriors game, the, the, at the exact same time, uh, New Orleans absolutely slaughtered uh, Portland. I think they were they were up huge the whole game. They ended up winning by like 17 or something, um, which which is kind of crazy because they're the lower seed and now they're up 3-0 and could potentially sweep Portland. They've been extremely impressive in that series. You know, we do this pod once a week, so I think it's fair to kind of look ahead a little bit, uh, you know, given the fact that it's almost guaranteed that that'll be the matchup next round. What do you think of of that matchup? What do you think of New Orleans versus the Warriors? It's going to be vastly different from this matchup, you know. For instance, for, for one thing, uh, San Antonio has nobody like Anthony Davis, <laughs> and I'm not sure anybody does. And he's kind of coming into his own, you know, with uh, having to, to, to carry the team this year um, with Boogie Cousins out. And everybody thought that was, uh, you know, it's all over for New Orleans. And Anthony just picked it up. And, uh, he, you know, the Warriors, I don't think, have ever been super successful about stopping him anyway. And now he's on a rampage, so... It's going to be a lot different from this from this series. It'll be different from us too because we're trading San Antonio for New Orleans. Kind of. right. Although we're going to wind up in a hotel room late at night 
having a beer and doing a podcast in New Orleans, same as here, so it's probably not much difference. But uh, but um, it'll be a whole different challenge, man. And it, and it'd be it's actually kind of for a second round matchup. It's 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 I think it's got a lot of excitement. Yeah, and the thing that really impresses me about New Orleans is you you lose a guy like Boogie Cousins who is one of the best big men in this league, you know, all-star guy, you know, starting all-star guy, all-star starter. You lose him and everyone thought, oh, their season's over. Oh, they're screwed, you know. And I think I'd have to double check this, but I think their winning percentage after Boogie was either around the same or a little bit better than before he got injured, which is extremely impressive. Um and you got to owe that to a few things. Obviously, Anthony Davis. Uh, I think Alvin Gentry is an underrated coach. Obviously, obviously, a former Kerr assistant. Um, who, if you remember, only if, you know wasn't that long ago that he was on the hot seat and people thought he was going to get fired to the point where like he literally, it literally seemed he was going to get fired within a week of toward the end of last season. Um, and now he's like borderline coach of the year candidate. Um, but that that. That midseason trade for Meritick from Chicago ended up being huge. And Meritick's not the same caliber player that Boogie is, but he is a legitimate starting power forward in this league. And he causes a lot of matchup problems because he can shoot and he can go inside and he's not a horrible defender. And he's been giving Portland fits. And I think that he could cause a lot of problems with uh, with Golden State. And I actually think in some ways that he fits the system that they run in in in, in under Gentry. Gentry's a guy who obviously Warriors guy. Before that, he was with the Suns. He likes to push the tempo. He likes to get out and run. With two bigs, it was kind of it was kind of they were kind of at odds at times. And I think with Miritich, he actually fits what they do better. Um, and I actually think that in some ways with merit, this sounds crazy maybe, but in some ways I actually think that with meritics, he gets, they, they're going to have as many, if not more problems than they, than they would with boogie, just because I think he fit, he plays a little bit better alongside Anthony Davis. You know, they complement each other. I think boogie and Anthony are a little too similar at times. So, um, it's going to be a fun one, honestly. Obviously, we're stoked to go to New Orleans, uh, but it's going to be a fun one. Uh, just because after this series, which I honestly believe will end in four games, um, it'll just be fun to watch a competitive series. Yeah, I think uh, one little sidelight. I wonder if uh, the Warriors are going to allow the ball boys to come in the locker room. I don't know if you remember, but I think it was three years ago there was a a deal where Anthony Davis, some of his buddies, like high school buddies and stuff, got jobs. A couple of them were ball boys, and they'd be ball boys in the visiting locker room. And they took, you know, the Warriors sat around before a game, and, and one of the guys says something like, yeah, we'll take care of this game easy or something like that. So the ball boys went back to Anthony Davis and, and the New Orleans guys and said, hey, you know, hey, you know what the Warriors are saying about you guys? And so <laughs> this created a big deal. And the Warriors wound up, the next time they played there, the next game they played there during the playoffs, the Warriors told the Pelicans, no ball boys. Don't send your guys in here. We're not, they didn't let the ball boys come in the locker room because really? <laughs> they didn't want Anthony's 
buddies from high school spying on them. So it created a, a, it was kind of a big deal, but it was, uh, that kind of intrigue is interesting. Plus you got the Alvin Gentry thing, which is interesting because Alvin is partly the architect of the Warriors offense. You know, he and Kerr, when Kerr took over, he and Kerr were very much partners in crime in designing the, the, the Warriors offense. And, and it lives to this day. You also have Darren Ehrman, who, if <laughs> it was, in my opinion, the architect of the Warriors' defense. I know that Mark Jackson gets a lot of credit, but talking to I, over the course of my two seasons on the beat, I've written a lot about the defensive development of Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, and they all attribute Darren Ehrman for all the strides they made earlier in their their career. Um, he put those guys to really intensive summer defensive oriented workouts and and uh, on a individual basis was was huge and also just a schematic basis so it's interesting you have a guy who is key in the development of their offense you also have a guy who's key in the development of their defense obviously ermin kind of left on weird terms with the warriors i think he was uh recording coaches uh talking about him when he behind his back, that kind of thing. Yeah, in fact, he—I guess he wore a wire at one point. He actually wore a hidden microphone or carried a hidden microphone into the coaches' meetings and stuff, which adds a whole different spy element to it. Which is maybe that's the whole thing between that and and the ball boys spying on the, the Warriors. You know, it could be a whole intrigue. I remember there was a game last year in New Orleans where Steph hit like a corner three, and. It was right in front of the Pelicans bench and turned around and dapped. And I was brand new to the beat at this point. I think it was like the first road game, my first road game on the beat. So don't blame me, but I didn't know who Darren Ehrman was at the time. I didn't know what he looked like. And he, he turned around and dapped Darren Ehrman. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> I ended up realizing or finding out that that was, you know, the guy who was assistant earlier in his career so there's going to be a lot of interesting storylines I, I you can probably tell we're, we're kind of looking forward to that one this one you know i think and i, I don't want to be misunderstood when i say this but the greg popovich's wife passing did add a level of intrigue to this series obviously very tragic story and not something we enjoy covering but it definitely added a an extra human layer to a series that otherwise has been kind of boring (laughs) in some ways. I mean, these games are kind of going the same. I mean, the Spurs, they're at the past two games. They've actually played well by, you know, as well as they can really hope to play, especially in the first half. And then it's just come the third quarter. They just can't keep it up because they're just simply not as good. Um, and you know the thing that uh, that I think the average reader may not understand is for us, you know, for me as the the beat guy, the playoffs are a totally different experience than the regular season. The regular season, you know, you're you're kind of isolated as the beat writer. You know, I'm it's me at all the road games by myself. You know, with the other beat writers from the other papers and stuff, but. Um, and you're you're in a different city every other day, and it's it's definitely a grind. The the playoffs, at least from my perspective, are actually easier and in some ways more fun. Not only do the games matter more, but 
you know, I have guys like Scott on the road with me and even at, and at home games, we have more people around at practices. I have a little bit more help, which has been kind of fun. And also, um, you know, we get to stay in cities for an extended amount of time. We're, we're going to end up having been in San Antonio for like six days, which, which is an eternity in the, in our business. Um, given that I'm usually in a city for like no longer than 24 hours, what have you? What do you think of San Antonio, and what are you enjoying of, out of all six or seven options that we had? You know, where did this kind of rank? Um, well, I've been here several times before, so it the excitement level is maybe a little bit low. But you know, I like San Antonio. It's it's kind of cool. They got the River Walk, which I know is touristy and kind of corny, but it's kind of cool. And I, and and I, I like the whole Alamo vibe. I've gone to the Alamo three or four times and taken the tour and all the stuff and and. I love Mexican food, so Connor and I have hit a couple Mexican joints and uh, got some really good food last night at about what two in the morning. But uh, so I'm I'm fine. I I know San Antonio. A lot of people consider it a boring town. Certainly not New Orleans, but I enjoy it here. I'm having a good time. Yeah, I mean, any town that has a 24-hour Mexican restaurant that's actually like a legitimate Mexican restaurant and the food is good and you know. You know, they serve drinks late like it's it's all good and that's what we you know we we got out at like one or whatever it was and you know went to actually a decent restaurant it wasn't like a divey gross place like it was it was good food so i'm a fan of that i mean san antonio you know as a beat writer you know i'm sure you had these two like you kind of have your power rankings yeah. and for me san antonio is probably in the bottom third but you know there's something good to be gleaned from every city and there's definitely the highlights and you know the strong point is definitely the mexican food we had a really good lunch today i thought actually it was delicious um and then tomorrow we'll probably do that as well and then maybe the next day and then the next day by, by the way don't be fooled we're really working hard but today we did take a quick lunch break and we sat on a nice patio in the beautiful weather and I had fish tacos, and I think Connor had uh, enchiladas, and you know, it's it's a tough life, but we're we're doing the best we can with it. Yeah, no, we're. I promise we are working, bosses. We we we, we do promise. Uh, hopefully, you're seeing the stories on the internet that we're writing. Um, but no, it's been it's been fun. Um, and I guess as we already said, there's not really a lot probably to be gleaned maybe from a game four, but. What are you? What are you looking for in, in game four? Well, unfortunately, I'm not looking for much. I I, I think if you're going to have to miss a game in the playoffs as a TV viewer or whatever, this I'm not encouraging you to do that. But this might be the one. I just just there's just no hope. I I think uh, you know San Antonio could even win the game. I'm not saying they couldn't win, but I just don't see it. They they they've given their they've taken their best shot. The Warriors are are ready. They the Warriors do not want to. Uh, for one thing, they want to rest our guys up. They had two guys roll ankles tonight, um, Sean Livingston and, and Kevin Durant, both roll an ankle. They don't want to play a game five, certainly not a game six. They want to get this over in four, get healed up. So they're not going to be just going in sleepwalking. I think they're going to be going in wanting to to prove they're ready. You know, this is kind of a tune-up game. You don't want to be sloppy. So uh, I, there's just no hope for San Antonio. I don't know. No any other way to say it. I think the only hope is if Katie doesn't play game four. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, he he rolled his ankle late 
tonight and then like 30 seconds later sean rolled his ankle um and i i don't think katie's injury is serious at all he stayed in the game for a couple more minutes he was walking fine he said it wasn't serious coach kerr said it wasn't serious livingston's probably a little bit more serious but you know livingston they'll be fine if they have to be without livingston for a game or two um if he if he doesn't play, I think they have an outside chance. But it's so hard mentally and physically, for that matter, to get up for a game when you're down 3-0. Like, it's kind of a waste of time, honestly. It's like, just let us all go home. You know, like, let them move on. Let yourselves move on. Like, do you really want to go back to Oakland, I mean, and lo- probably lose in game five? I mean, you know you're not going to win. I mean, I know they're competitive and they're not supposed to think like that, but they're also human beings. So, um, yeah, that the only thing I'm really going to be looking for is how does KD look? Does, does he have no problems? Is he good? Is he good to go? Because they need him to be at his best with Steph still, you know, in re- in rehab from that knee injury. Obviously, it looks like he'll come back next round. But one thing I want to touch on real quick before we go is. Clay Thompson, he is at his best. Like he, he kind of was in and out, you know, throughout the regular season. Obviously, missed a good chunk of uh, time toward the end of the regular season with that thumb injury, and now he's just like locked in. You know, he's so efficient. He's at his catch and shoot shoot best, and he said earlier today that he actually still has some pain in that thumb, um, but. You know, when he's going the way he is, they're lethal. What what have you thought about what he's been able to do lately? Well, one thing one thing about Clay that I I really kind of admire, besides everything else about Clay, he's, he's phenomenal. He's just his old temperament and everything. He's got to be like the ultimate. Like Steve Kerr always says, he's the no maintenance guy, but just the ultimate warrior. He's very competitive and he's so laid back and and his temperament and everything. But one thing before I get sidetracked here, is that his his uh his forgetfulness, I'm gonna call it, in that like tonight he came out he was he was cold at first. In the first half, I don't know the exact shooting stats, but I know he took a couple three pointers early. One was a, a beat the clock kind of thing, desperation, and one was like an air ball and one hit maybe grazed the side of the rim. It was like kind of shot that you and I would take in a game like that. Just terrible shots. And so some guys that would get in their head and they think, oh my God, you know, I gotta, I gotta carry this team. I gotta shoot, and my shot's off tonight. And Clay, I don't think it. Once he misses a shot, it's all gone. It all goes into the atmosphere, and he forgets all about it. And the next time down court, he's Clay Thompson, the badass shooter, and he's just gonna nail it. And he, and he did. He came back, and he he was phenomenal. He just, I, I got and Kerr, you know, Kerr's not a phony guy, and I gotta think. Kerr has expressed this, but he he just looks at Clay and thinks, "Thank God I got this guy on my team, man. This guy's just phenomenal. He's just so steady and such a phenomenal shooter and a defender and everything too." But but man, there's a lot to like about Clay. He fits what they do perfectly. I mean, he's literally tailor made for this team. You know, we've talked about it before. He could go to maybe Sacramento or Memphis or what have you and average twenty six a game, but he's so perfect being that 20 point per game guy rolling off screens, hitting open jumpers, barely touching the ball. 
and you know he also fits the temperament of this team you know because other guys are getting the shine and he just wants to go home and chill with Rocco and it just it it just it's perfect and I think the Warriors understand that and that's why I kind of find all the speculation I feel like there's more speculation around Clay and his future than any other Warrior maybe that's just because he's probably the next you know the next guy up but it's also like anyone who thinks that he's going anywhere doesn't understand what clay's priorities are and what clay wants and what the warriors understand which is that he's as valuable as really anyone else in this team in a lot of ways plus plus the fact that uh how old is he 28 27 but the type of athlete he is he's so durable and he's not, I think what I'm trying to say is I don't think he's going to age quickly. I don't think in like a couple of years he's going to be kind of starting to go over the hill. I think the, the way he plays and everything and his athleticism, he's really a phenomenal athlete, is going to make him, give him a lot of longevity with it. And so, uh, you know, I could see him five years down the road being an impact player still with the Warriors. On that note, it is, you know <laughs> – getting close to 2 30 almost 3 a.m out here in san antonio we're gonna let you guys go but we'll be back next week uh we'll probably be back in the bay at that point maybe getting ready to go to uh you know into a new orleans series so um stay locked and loaded sfchronicle.com we appreciate you guys' uh listening bye This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is Thank You for Playing by Ryan Little, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. This show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more Warriors coverage, you can follow us on Twitter at con underscore cron and at Scott Osler. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com. Also, follow us on iTunes, and if you have some time, give us some feedback. 